0: Tech podcast, voice of the Asian tech ecosystem.
1: Hello, welcome to Asia Tech Podcast. My name is Graham Brown. Today, it's Asia Tech Podcast stories. We're about the stories that make the Asian tech ecosystem so dynamic, so exciting. Joined today by Amber Chuk, who we'll find out is trilingual event producer, advocate of women's leadership, founder of TEDx Lopongi, TEDx Hero Women. And a program manager at I Am The Code, who I just found out as well was born on International Women's Day. So that's quite fated. Amber, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Graham. Thank you for having me.
1: Now, I think it's kind of important to put this on the table, but you speak three languages, right? Just, yes. What do you speak? You speak Mandarin, Japanese, English?
0: Yes, Chinese is my native tongue.
1: There's an interesting story here. I, I think before we talk about TEDx and what you do in organizing these events and what you do generally... We've got to talk a little bit about your background, because on my notes here, Amber, and I'll share this with the listeners as well. Point number one, it says badass. And I think we can use this to describe (laughs) you, and I'll tell you why. I think people have to know about your background as well. You, At age 15, you came to Japan from China without speaking a word of Japanese. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened, how all that came about?
0: Okay, so um, I was born in Harbin, China, and uh, because of uh, domestic violence, my parents were divorced when I was six, and I grew up with my grandparents. And uh, when I was 15, uh, my grandparents uh, were too old to take care of me in China, so uh, I came to Japan to find my mom. And then my mom uh, was married to a Japanese guy in Miyaken so I came to Miyaken and I only spoke Japanese. Uh, Sorry. Oh my God. I only spoke Chinese. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, I had to, uh, take the high school entrance exam because I was at the age of 15 and, uh, didn't speak a word of Japanese or English. So I entered this, um, high school where only 1% of the graduates could go to university. And, um, Basically, at first, I was a bit depressed because I couldn't socialize because of the language barriers. Mm. And then just one day, on when I was on the train, I saw this advertisement of universities in Tokyo, where if you're qualified as a kikushijo, basically a returnee, uh, you're able to take entrance exam only in English. Mm. And uh, from there, I decided to study English by myself and yeah. to try to qualify myself to enter university in Tokyo. You didn't so speak studied, any
1: English at this point, right? Yeah,
0: I spoke a little bit right. at the beginning level. Because but not was, enough
1: to go to university, right? That's the point, right?
0: Yeah, totally not. Yeah. So I decided to study English by myself, and I started by watching Prison Break.
1: <laughs> all right, go on. No, but that's serious. That's a good way to start, right?
0: Yeah, that's where all my ghetto English right. came from. <laughs> yeah, so... Back then, I used this like illegal Chinese like video streaming service where you can watch all the series for free. Right. And then um, I watched Prison Break with both Chinese and English subtitles, and mm. I pause every time they say something. And uh, maybe my first complete English that I've spoken, the first sentence was, I'm getting you out of here, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, so I studied English by myself for uh, 14 hours a day for about two years. Wow. First by watching prison break and then later I got on Twitter to learn you know like basic conversational English and uh, what's going on in the world and then later moved on to formal textbooks and I taken and, and I've taken the uh, required English exam called Aken in Japan mm-hmm. for about eight times and the last time I got like the perfect score wow. and uh, I was able to I apply for university jose university mm. and that And I
1: passed, and I went to Tokyo. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. Awesome. Okay, let's rewind a little bit. There's a lot to unpack there. I mean, studying 14 hours of English a day, I mean, that's something else, but we'll come to that in a minute. I'm fascinated by this this beginning part of your journey where you came from China to Mie in Japan. And for those that don't know, Mie Ken is like pretty rural isn't it i mean if if you sort of know the lie of japan it's if you take nagoya which is sort of west of uh tokyo in between nagoya sorry in between tokyo and osaka and go down into miyaken which is like a quite a it's quite a traditional area isn't it i mean i don't know what it was like where you live but it's not sort of cosmopolitan like tokyo right i mean what was it must have been crazy for you going there You, you must have been you know completely isolated and felt alone when you arrived
0: yeah, but I think that's actually one of the biggest reasons that motivates me to study English back then. Because it was just such a culture shock when I uh, went to my high school, uh, and, and it was 80% female. And um, mm. there was literally zero expectation for girls to actually go to university. Because most of my female classmates, they just got pregnant when they are the second grade. Wow. And then they became like housewives. Afterwards, and uh, back then, because I was studying by myself, and I also didn't speak any language that could socialize with other people. Yeah, I was just, like, very weird for other people. Like, why are you studying? Like, why do you want to go to university? Yeah, yeah. Because, like, the the easiest thing to do is just to find a guy and to get married. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and there was such a culture shock. Because in China, education is, like, really important. And I grew up with my grandpa, who's always been so strict on me, and it requires me to be... Really like ambitious and strong, and uh, I I just feel like I didn't belong there, and mm. I wanted to go to university.
1: Mm. That must yeah. be tough though when when you were putting in all the hours studying, and all your friends around you were saying like, you know why do you want to go to university. That, that's the hardest part, isn't it? Because yes. we want to fit in. We're, we're social beings. We want to be part of the group. But when all of your group is having babies or getting married, <laughs> how do you deal with that? Because you must have felt that all the time that, you know, you must have. Did you ever question what you were doing, thinking that, am I doing the right thing? Because I'm completely different to everybody here.
0: Yeah, actually, actually, no. Because I was focusing on my energy on one purpose, which is like to pass this English exam and then to apply for universities. Right. And uh, I kind of, yeah, I kind of knew that if I think too much, that I will, you know, like shake my <laughs> willingness to mm-hmm. study. And uh, yeah, I will really like shake my faith in myself. So I try not to think of anything else and just completely focus on this one goal. And then that become a big part of my personality today as well. It's just like when I have a go and I work really, really hard to make that happen. And regardless of anything else.
1: I I wonder as well, when you were studying prison break, the the language that you were, you were learning actually was quite useful because you were kind of breaking out of a prison in a way, weren't you getting to (laughs) Tokyo? Like you say, let's get out of here. You were actually thinking that yourself, right? True. So, okay. Um, just curious to know, I mean, talking about high school as well, before we sort of move on to talk about what you've been doing in, in Tokyo, is I, I think it's worth telling the listeners about what that's like for, you know, a, a Japanese girl at high school, because it's quite special, isn't it? I mean, people, I don't think people realize how, especially if you go to a place like Mieken, how sort of, I don't see the word backward, but in terms of progress for women, they really are you know, a long way behind, aren't they? When you talk about expectations for girls not going to university and so on, h- how did that actually happen? How did it play out? Did teachers actually say to you, you're not going to university or did they just not encourage you?
0: Yeah, so the teacher actually said that you're not going to university.
1: Oh, wow.
0: And uh, unless, you know, like you really try and your family are supportive because, um, yeah, it sounded like, you know, just like no one go to university in that area. But the truth is... Um, There were actually some girls that actually like passed university, but uh, their family weren't supportive because for because the mindset uh, in me can for most families is that uh, once you have kids and then once they graduate high school, then they're old enough to work in factory and then to make money right away, basically for the family and uh, to have kids. And then that cycle just repeats itself. Mm. And then um, I knew some of my classmates, they actually passed university in Tokyo and in Nagoya, but they weren't able to go. And then they just ended up um, getting married and having kids.
1: Wow, that's a real shame, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I think in the rural area, and I mean, like also in Tokyo, it just depends on your environment. Mm-hmm. So, like you can either stay in your environment or you can go out and create your own. Yeah. But basically, a lack of role model is the biggest issue in the rural area because all the female like imagine if you're like a teenager and all the female that you know there are moms mm-hmm. and then they seem really happy having kids so why not like why would you like even bother to study really hard and to spend a lot of money on going to university and leaving your family
1: yeah so if you if you put Ambutuk in the middle of that you're almost like a uh, you know you're you're sort of Talking about these things, which are making them uncomfortable, right? Because in a way, you talk about women not having access to role models is, and when you come in and start saying, Oh, yes, you can go to university and you can do this and you can do that and you can do great things with your life. I think some people feel really uncomfortable, don't they? Because you're, you're exposing them for their lack of trying or their, you know, maybe they give up or maybe they've just got secure and comfortable in their little bubble, isn't it? Did you face a lot of resistance at that age, you know, when you were at high school for talking like that?
0: Yeah, actually, at high school, I wasn't like really voicing my um, opinion or what I was doing, because I was just completely focusing on studying English. But um, it was quite a challenge to change the mind of my stepdad, because my mom's uh, also a housewife. right? And uh, she married my stepdad through a a marriage arrangement agency from China. And that's actually quite normal as well for a rural area in China that mm. for a woman who never worked to divorce her husband and then the smart choice would be actually marrying uh, someone a bit more wealthy overseas mm. and then to bring your kids to foreign country that is more advanced as well. So my mom uh, married my stepdad and my stepdad uh, actually never been to university as well. So it was uh, quite a challenge to change my stepdad's mindset that to sponsor me, to go to university Mm. and to convince him it's actually like necessary to spend all that money and to sponsor a kid that is not his.
1: Yeah. 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 Wow. So where where did you get your positive female role models for who, you know, uh, your mom excluded, but you know, who, who are the people in your, your life that at that young age you thought had influenced you and told you that it was possible because you weren't surrounded by them right you didn't have access to these people
0: yeah actually that's an interesting point because i grew up with my grandpa and then he always like trained me to be strong and then actually when i was in china i never really realized the difference between women and men in terms of gender like what people can achieve because of their gender i never really realized that so when i was in high school i didn't really associate myself with the you know like standard expectation for Mm. women I didn't think it was related to me Hmm. and uh yeah and then I just like did everything in my own way
1: that that's what you had to do to get ahead though right because if you did associate yourself with Japanese high school girls then you would have become like them right because it's a very strong identity as well isn't it so you would have been trapped by it okay so let's talk about going to Tokyo you uh, and a key part of your story is you you founded TEDx Rapungi. And Ropungi is sort of, you know, it's right in the middle of Tokyo. It's sort of a, a quite an affluent area of Tokyo. Just out of interest, how old were you when you, you founded that?
0: Uh, I was 19.
1: You were 19 when you founded it. Yeah, I was
0: 19, and uh, I turned 20 at my first event.
1: Right, right. Which is in Japan is the age of adulthood, right? That's 20 yes. years old. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's, that's
0: when I can drink and celebrate. <laughs> right,
1: officially, right? So that, yeah. I mean, that's phenomenal. I mean, what you've achieved there is setting up, TEDx Rapungi, I think you know you know well done you for doing that because you were only 19 when you did it and not being patronizing but I imagine a lot of well I think when I was 19 I certainly would have thought about something like that <laughs> you know i would just been interested in having a good time and just you know wasting my life but you know you had thought about building something setting up a platform and creating this event tell us a little bit about the the genesis of that why why did you decide to start TEDx Rapungi
0: yeah, so um, I think that's... So actually, uh, when I first came to Tokyo, and um, I was expecting something completely different from me, which it is. Like, it is a lot more modern and a lot more people. But, um, like, once more, it's a shock when I uh, entered university because although, like, everyone was returnees and then everyone was, like, mostly bilingual and some of them even trilingual, but a lot of the girls, like, they still... Like wanted to be housewives, like they just wanted to graduate and get married, and it wasn't oh, right. really a an environment that I expected because well, I was expecting. Well, what did you mean? Sorry, something just, completely different from my. L- l- let's
1: just explain to the listeners. A returnee is what
0: uh, a returnee is. Say, for example, you grew up overseas.
1: They should be quite worldly. They should be quite understanding of these sort of you know the ways of women in the world, right? So they're coming back to university and they still want to be housewives.
0: Yeah, that, yeah, that was just such a shock, that I really didn't understand that uh, what was going on. And uh, later on, because one was in high school, I only spoke English, and I didn't really speak Japanese when I first came to Tokyo. So one was trying to get a part-time job uh, in Tokyo it was like fairly difficult because I hmm. didn't speak so local language.
1: Wait, 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 wait! Um, so it's just back. Up. <laughs> There's a lot of information. You got through high school without speaking Japanese like fluently. Yeah, I
0: completely gave up on the like high school work. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> I spoke only English and Chinese.
1: All right. Okay, go on. I just had to clear that up, right? I'll come back to that. So, okay, you're going to Tokyo, right? Looking for part-time work.
0: Yeah, and then uh one was uh, looking for a part-time job and then that's actually the first time when I experienced racism. That's mm. um because I was Chinese and then um a lot of jobs that I didn't pass like just because like I was Chinese and I didn't speak right. um like Japanese fluently or like just having an accent. Um and then that's a period of time when where I was having an identity crisis because I always see myself as someone like ambitious and mm. uh like overachiever and uh that was a time where I couldn't find anything to work on or i like, didn't see where myself was going. I met my current boyfriend, and uh we started like talking about like what I was really interested in. And back then I thought I was interested in parties because that's where right because that's like what everyone else was interested in come on, you were and just then,
1: nineteen twenty nineteen
0: yeah like it, it, it was weird if I wasn't interested in parties right because then it's just like I would be a nerd, and then that would like be hard to socialize <laughs> and then like I was talking to my boy uh, uh my current boyfriend, and then I said, actually you know like I'm interested in learning, I know it sounds crazy, but I'm interested in learning because I learned English by myself and I'm just so curious about the world. And then there's so much to learn. And then um, he encouraged me to like TEDx events. Because mm. back then, um, I met the founder of TEDx Tokyo at a cafe. And I wanted to uh, volunteer for TEDx Tokyo. But then it didn't work out. And then um my boyfriend's like, yeah, why don't you have your own TEDx events? You can create something of your own. And then I'm just like, yeah, yeah, why not? Let's do why it. Why not? And yeah. because my personality is like, I didn't really think about like how difficult it would mm-hmm, be to... Mm. Actually start an organization. <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, let's just do it. And then I started to recruit, um, some, uh, core members of TEDx OpenPi from my, um, yeah, from my university. And, uh, at first I wanted to do, uh, TEDx Hosei University actually, um, because, because everyone in my class, they were having such a hard time doing job hunting. And, uh, the job hunting, uh, in Japan is a very traditional Japanese mm. process where you have to, dress um the same as everyone else and then maybe you go to 300 interviews but but you only pass three interviews and those probably are not the job that you really want to do
1: Yeah,
0: Yeah, and uh because everyone was like struggling with that and i didn't really see myself doing that first of all because my japanese wasn't wasn't like fluent enough to pass the japanese in the first place so i wanted to like figure out a way for people my age not to go through that process to create something of their own that they want to do, either to freelance or to be an entrepreneur or to work for a startup, hmm. rather than like the traditional Japanese company. So that was my drive for the first TEDx company event. I wanted to present people who figure out their own way of finding their passion to do something that they really love or just something that they can learn a lot from, rather hmm. than being like part of a machine in a big Japanese company. So for my first TEDxOpungi so events, I had uh, I had nine speakers, and uh, they're mostly entrepreneurs, and uh, they presented like basically how they got there, and then I wanted these nine ideas to inspire people my age, to show them that there's actually another way rather than just going with the flow, and uh, that's where I founded TEDxOpungi.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I thought we were going to talk about TEDx Hero Women as well, but we'll come to that as well. So, but yeah, I mean, that whole story of founding TEDx Rapungi is phenomenal, and you know, you started at a very young age as well in doing that. You hadn't sort of waited for somebody to pick you to do it, which was great. I think it's a great story, and you know, I let, let's sort of put this into context because you've mentioned the machine, the Japanese company as well, and you talk about that recruitment process and uh, you know you say everybody dresses the same and you, you'll see this if you ever come to japan you'll see like groups of young people that, you know 1920 uh, or whatever you know in their early 20s and there'll be about seven or eight of them uh, men and women and they'll all be dressed the same and they'll all, all the women will be wearing like black suits will not they they're blacks and you know like the, it'll be a below the knee skirt and they'll be wearing a black suit and the guys would be wearing like a black suit with tie and so on everybody looks the same Or they've just started the the, the company, like the new shine type thing. They're sort of, you know, the new recruits in the company. And, you know, I I wonder, you know, when you thought about that kind of reality for you, could you ever see yourself going into that? Was that sort of fear motivating you to make this happen? Did you, you know, was it sort of weighing on you? Or you thought, well, if this doesn't work out, maybe I will go and work for Mitsubishi or Panasonic or whatever.
0: (laughs) yeah I, but but actually, those two companies uh like they were really good choices for uh people from in my university
1: but they 're very yeah, traditional I, choices right
0: yeah exactly yeah i yeah I think i didn 't really see myself doing that and right. I, I mean of course, partly because back then my Japanese were fluent, and uh also it's just i and and I think because my experience in high school, where I fought like really hard to get to this university mm. that I was in. And I really saw myself doing something I'm passionate about and to give back to people that, who supported me because I couldn't have gotten like where I am today or where I was back then, like without, uh, without basically a support ecosystem.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, I wanted to build a community rather than like working for like a big machine. Yeah. And uh, that was my drive to start TEDxApongi. And mm-hmm. my um, second event is called like Thinking About Thinking. And then I wanted to do something with the new technology. And uh, I started my second event at the virtual Life theater and it becomes the first ever TEDx events ever presented on holographic technology. Mm.
1: Okay. So you, you chose this theme thinking about thinking. Why did you choose that? Cause that seems quite philosophical. I know you like philosophy, so I'm going to open this up for you. Why did you choose something like that?
0: Actually why I chose uh, thinking about thinking is because I wanted people to think outside the box to like, skeptical of why Mm. why they think how they think. For example, like let's just take the example that we were talking about about job hunting. Just like when people think that I have to go through this process to get a job because this is what everyone else does and this Mm. is what people expect of me. And just like why do you think that way? Like why do you think it's the only way? Or when people in my high school when they think about they have to get married. They have to ha- be a housewife and they cannot go to university. It's so like, why do you think that way?
1: Amber, yeah. Amber, Amber, th- that question, why is, is a, a dangerous question in Japan though, right? <laughs> people <laughs> yeah. don't like people asking the question, why? So you must have been, I don't know, did you, you must have been facing resistance when you were doing that.
0: Yeah, I would say my TEDx organization is, um, more popular among international community rather than the local Japanese community. Mm. That's why like this year when planning my third event, I'm trying to be more soft. (laughs) If you know what I mean?
1: (laughs) Right. Well. Okay. I mean, let's sort of talk a little bit about that. I saw, I saw one of your speakers at TEDx, Helen Iwata. She did a, a phenomenal presentation on why don't Japanese ask, sorry, why don't Japanese women ask questions at work? I can't remember if that was, um, your first or second event, but it's that, you know, she,
0: my second one is that the second
1: one, right? I mean, you, you don't think about that unless somebody actually tells you that that's the case. And she sort of, sort of walked through, you know, a case study of what it would actually look like in a boardroom or a meeting, you know, where there is equal number of women and men in this Japanese company, but just how the Japanese woman would behave in that environment, you know, that they're not expected to ask questions. And if they do ask questions in a way, it's considered unladylike, right? In you know, and I've I've seen that as well, is that, you know, subtle things that men may say about women at work I think are quite powerful. Like or maybe even subtle things that women say to women in Japanese workplaces. Like, you know, and they think that, for example, that if they were to say something negative say something like that or be too you know, asking questions like why, why, why all the time, then, you know, they won't get a boyfriend or they won't get married or that kind of thing. So there's a lot of pressure there that I don't think it's obvious, isn't it? It's quite subtle the way it works in these companies. And I wonder if you're sort of aware of that because you've operated outside of these structures as long as you've, you know, humanly possible, right? To your benefit, right? So, I mean, are you sort of aware of these sort of subtle nudges on women in society?
0: Yeah, actually, um About two weeks ago, I was part of this uh, Google Women Will Initiative, and it's about inclusive workplace. And then that's um, where I seriously learned about um, the harassment towards women at work Mm. and uh, just the ladder for women to climb in workplace and in Japan. And I think um, something a lot of uh, businesswomen experience uh, in Japan in their workplace is that um, male colleagues, they often don't introduce us by our job titles rather they would like introduce us like oh here's Amber, and she's really lovely and charming rather than using <laughs>
1: you my proper job titles
0: yeah yeah rather than like i actually have a job title it's like wow. why don't you use my job title right and right. then um when for example when we go to meetings together with uh male colleagues and uh our clients our counterparts they would often assume that uh i'm an assistant yeah
1: um
0: yeah, because I'm a female and that's just the social expectations. That must like, drive you nuts. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite crazy actually.
1: What, what do you think about this, Amber? I saw, this is a while ago, I was getting some business cards made and this is the, the story here again is, is about these subtle nudges. They're not actually saying you can't do this, you can't do that, but it's very subtle and I think it all adds up. I was getting some business cards printed in, uh, in Japan and because I sent the, the business cards to a Japanese printer that had my name on it, Graham Brown, they didn't know if it was a man or a woman. So the guy emailed me back and said, is this for a, a gentleman or for a lady? And I said, you know, why does it matter? It's like, yeah, why does it matter? Right, right. And he, I actually asked why, which is obviously not the right thing to do. But he said, you know, the standard is... The, the male business cards, but the Japanese women's business cards are slightly smaller and they have rounded edges. They're the ones that this printer produced. And I, I just thought, Oh my God, that's just wow, crazy. Interesting. How, how I just thought how, what was the point of that? You know, that were women going to the printer and saying, yes, I want rounded business cards slightly smaller than the men's and, you know, pink as well, please. Right.
0: You know what? Actually, I, I actually, I'm not aware of that.
1: Right. Right. I mean, it's not that's in the big so companies, but that's what, you know, the standard was for this private printer. Right. So, I mean, it's a subtle nudge, isn't it? It's like you say, like, you know, you go into these meeting places and you kind of get ignored or, you know, it's it's like boys together and, you know, the the women are there just to kind of like hold the briefcases. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And well as well, I mean, that word, "ol." I mean, let's talk a little bit about that. That's something that people, office lady it still exists, doesn't it? I mean, you know, that's been around for a while, but that's sort of a term for sure you can actually get a job as an OL, can't you? I think that you can yeah, I
0: would say like, um, probably like in the Japanese company in, um, most women are OL rather than like right. working in like business as a business woman, like actually working in business development sector. And, um, it was quite rare. Mm. And, um, I was working a lot of overtime, which is perfectly normal in Japan. And I was working almost like a hundred hours a week sometimes. And, um, Back then, I, I wasn't aware that working overtime was a bad thing. Because um I think as a woman in a Japanese workplace, it's like if you don't perform as, as much as your male colleague performs, mm. then it would mean that you're less. And it's maybe, you know, people would take it because of your ability or because of your gender. And I didn't want people to assume that about me. So I was like working really hard and uh, Basically, kind of um, damaging my relationships with my family, and mm-hmm. also really and, and and also relationship with my boyfriend, also even my health. I, I think that's actually where when I realized that why a lot of women quit their job after they give birth in Japan. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Because it, it's it's just like it's impossible to get married if you're working like a hundred hours a week. Yeah, and if you don't already have a partner, or maybe you have a partner, but you don't have time to nurture that relationship. And once you have a kid, it's, it's impossible to raise a kid when you don't actually have private time. Yeah. And also just like in the workplace, um, I, like what I noticed was there's, I'm, I'm not sure how to frame this, but for a lot of women, they think there's no ladder to climb yeah. in the workplace. Like yeah. even though you work really hard, you work like a hundred hours a week, but you're not going to be an executive inside a company. And why they assume that is because most of the executives in, in, inside the company is 100% male. Yeah. Or maybe this company never had a female executive. Yeah. And that's just so sad. And then when I was at a Google uh, Initiative, uh, which um, actually I was uh, honored to be invited to produce, is that I learned about power harassment in the workplace. And I realized how much para harassment there, there is, like in every company. Well, we'll go back. Where,
1: That's a new word for me. Go on. Was para harassment? harassment? What does that mean? Yeah,
0: so, so para harassment means, um, for example, uh, you are forced to, you, you, you're, you feel like you're forced to right. do overtime at right, your job. Right. right. Or like you are, or you feel like you're forced to do something that you don't want to do, but because your boss asks you. Gotcha. And, um, uh, and I think the, Harassment in Japanese workplace is that some managers like they know how to leverage ambitious women, like because of our personality. Because you know, like we we don't want to be seen as less. Mm. So when they ask us to, for example, like do a lot more work than other people, and we would do it because we don't want to be seen as less. But I think that's the fundamental problem: is that women should not be forced to act like men, mm. just to be seen as equal
1: but it's tough though isn't it if you don't have i mean this goes back to like the high school doesn't it if you don't have the role models then you have to you're looking around for successful role models and the only successful role models are men really in the workplace aren't they so that's tough isn't it so you know where do you get your inspiration from in that environment you either quit and like you did go and do your own thing and make your own way or i suppose you just stick it out and that must be really tough
0: yeah, exactly. And one was, um, and one was at the Google workshop, like there was some numbers of like how many percentage of the women who actually came back to work, uh, from, from maternity leave. Mm. And I think that number is, uh, 7%. 7%. And then that's, that's such a small number. Right, right. And, uh, and when I heard that number and I, and I just remembered like a lot of my, uh, classmates from university who also like started their job the first year. And, uh, when I caught up with them, and then they said they already wanted to quit and they already wanted to like just get married with their boyfriend and uh be housewives
1: right had they changed since when you knew them were, you know when you knew them were they more sort of ambitious yeah, that changed, right like, okay well well wow. wow. it's like gravity isn't it it just pulled them down yeah there. and a
0: lot of my friends they actually like they went to the top consulting companies right and then still and and still like they just didn't want to work anymore wow. and then um and then like i realized this because there's such a lack of female role models. It's just that women can't really relate to the male executives. And it just seemed really like impossible to be the first female executive. Yeah. It just seemed like there's no ladder to climb. And then there's no point in working hard.
1: I mean, it's, it's a fascinating conversation and it goes really deep. When I um, first came to Japan in, in the 90s, towards the late 90s, the, the whole sort of telecoms scene was blowing up. And there was a woman called uh, Mary Matsunaga, who came from Recruit, the recruitment magazine. And she they recruited her from that magazine into Docomo, which is the big mobile company in Japan. And they said, um, you know, we want you to help us build our, our mobile content service. And she was like pivotal in creating possibly, the, you know, the world's first mobile internet service. You know, we talk about like the app store now, but they built all that way back in the 90s. And she, um one of the first things she insisted that when they, when they did that was she would have her own office because she didn't want to work in the the Docomo office. And she created this little space where it was like a, I don't know, an oasis within the sort of like the really dry corporate space of Docomo where they would have like, you know, beer in the cabinet and like, you know, wow. ping pong table and stuff like that. But she, you know, she really didn't give a shit about the corporate culture of Dokomo. And uh, good for her because she, she really didn't, t- didn't take any shit as well. And she was like an amazing role model for women. But the problem was, is that she sort of retreated from the scene Like after she was like super successful. She was everywhere in the magazines, um, super successful in the late 90s. Nothing really came after her. And I thought, wow, that was such a missed opportunity. Because she would have influenced, you know, millions of young women in Tokyo to go out and do something amazing. But I just wondered why there was a sort of a gap after her. Nothing's really sort of come through after. I mean, there's some amazing women in the tech ecosystem, but not the numbers that we need, are there?
0: Yeah, I think, um, personally, I think it's really important to have a support ecosystem for the ambitious women who are already doing really well in business. Because, like, they could... like. Of course, like you said, like if she stayed in business, she could have like inspired like millions of young women or like empower them in in tech industry. but I think like for a woman like that is and because like she's so she's almost like a Pokemon in the tech industry mm. and um, it's important to make women like that feel supported, feel like they actually have a community behind them, so yeah. they can keep doing what they're doing, rather yeah. than like they are just working hard for no reason. And um, I think Japan needs more communities like that. Right,
1: that's so true, yeah.
0: Yeah, like to support business women and also to educate women like what is power harassment and what are their rights in the workplace? Like what what topics or like what problems that they can fight back on and to give them support on that.
1: Amber, I know you're well-read and I guess you're a bit of a philosopher as well because you seem to sort of have an interest in the, the writings and readings of, of many different people and I think you're very curious and curiosity is one of the the key characteristics of a change maker and a troublemaker as well trouble in a good way um you're a fan of Toni Morrison she's a an author which some of the listeners may be familiar with who um a Nobel Prize winner but I think she also there was a movie isn't it that Oprah was um one of the actresses and that she she got to Hollywood beloved I believe it was but Tony Morrison said, if you are free, you need to free somebody else. If you have some power, then your job is to empower somebody else. Um, but what does that mean to you?
0: So that quote to me, it means to always remember like, how I got here. Um, and it's because like, I, I got so much support from other people, from my mentors, mm. from my friends, and from my partner. And uh, to remember that I am here today for a reason is to give back to the community, to help young people who are ambitious. And who are fighting for an opportunity to to contribute? Mm. And um, actually, that's why I'm involved in a lot of initiatives. For example, TEDx for me is a platform of, and um, it's a platform to help people connect, communicate, and uh, collaborate. And also, um, the Am the Code initiative I was on was to give girls an opportunity to code, and mm. uh, I did that in Japan and uh, also in China. And for all of these events, the beauty is how people connect with each other. Mm. And then there's power in conversation. And, uh, you know, when people connect with like-minded people, there's a spark and then that motivate each other to pursue like whatever they're doing mm. and then to communicate like how they want to make the world a better place and then to collaborate with each other to go beyond and then to make what they want to do, like actually happen.
1: How do you measure that? Because, you know, obviously you're involved in these initiatives and, you know, you're not necessarily getting paid for these particular initiatives like TEDx and so on. How do you measure the impact that you have? Are there sort of moments that you've experienced where you you thought, ah, that made it all worthwhile? You know, somebody said something, somebody did something, something happened where you realize, actually, this is the reason why I'm doing it.
0: Yeah, so I think I measure success by... Just like what people achieved after the experience. Mm. So, for example, um, when I was advising for this organization called Girls 20 and, uh, it's a Canadian uh, social enterprise where they they select one girl from each country every year to present at G20 summits in front of their presidents and chairmans mm. to, uh, advise on policies that, uh, increase female labor. And, uh, one was advising the Japan delegate. She was, telling me, like, how, how much she's passionate about, like, empowering high school students to mm. go to university, not to just be housewives. And to that part, I really connected with her because that's exactly what I experienced when I was in high school. And then um, I helped her and I mentored her to found this initiative called Win, uh, Wins for the Future. And basically, it's this initiative where uh, we have monthly workshops for high school students to connect them with role models. Either they mm. are female entrepreneurs or they are female executives or uh, they're female educators that are giving back to the community. And then to connect ambitious high school students with each, other, uh, with each other so they can motivate each other. And then to connect them with role models and then to do personality tests to discover like what they're really passionate about. Also to learn about sustainable development goals of like what they can do to make the world a better place. It's not just about like making money or like working at a big company. So that's like something that i measure my success with Mm. it's like what people created after the experience at these initiatives and these events
1: yeah so that's wings for the future that was something that you helped found yes that's awesome that's such a that is such a good idea as well and you know go back to amber you know when you were just a high school student can you imagine if you had that then what that would have done for you i mean not that you didn't achieve anything afterwards, but how different things would have been. Do you think that that was what you needed right back then?
0: I think that would have really helped. Right. Because I think like when we pursue something that seemed impossible, the biggest challenge is to keep ourselves motivated. And and that's why I believe in the power of like creating experience to help people connect, communicate and collaborate. Mm. Cause that's basically building a community of a support ecosystem for people to keep going in their endeavor.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, you wonder as well is that your energy to do that has come from that experience, hasn't it? You know, if you didn't have that, that negative high school experience, or, or no, your experience wasn't negative, but the high school wasn't good for you, right? But if you didn't have that, it wouldn't have created that energy to build what you're building, right? So you've turned it into a very sort of positive outcome which I think is the story really, isn't it? That people need to know is that I, I imagine there are, well, I know there are listeners who face frustrations in a similar situation. And, you know, listening to Amber's story, you realize actually how that frustration, that struggle, if you like, ha- was the the energy to create something really good and, and create, you, I know you talk about creating a better world, but, you know, you're actually doing that. You're actually putting it out there, but that couldn't have happened without experiencing some pain first right so you know i think that's the key isn't it that people have to understand that that sort of pain and frustration all has a reason and not to realize that oh you're not look at yourself and think oh why me why did this happen to me you know because it's all part of the bigger picture right
0: yeah i think every negative experience that we have and every like thread of pain the experience we can always go back and draw more more strength from it Mm. because like now in my life like every time there's a really big challenge that I feel like I cannot possibly overcome and I always go back to that high school experience that where I was motivating myself so much that I actually achieved something that seemed impossible and I always tell myself that because I went through that and then there's nothing that is impossible that I cannot do that's actually um, partly the reason why that uh, other than TEDx and now I also do a lot of other initiatives because TEDx is a very curated platform of empowerment where uh, we present inspiring ideas to inspire others mm-hmm. basically and um, a lot of other initiatives I do actually um, serves as the follow-up of the TEDx events because the TEDx events we are just presenting ideas but then if you have other follow-up events to Go deep into how, for example, this person presented, for example, let's say Helen. So Helen talked about like women should ask more questions in the workplace mm. on the TEDx stage. And it's a very curated contents within 20 minutes. And then, for example, at the Google workshop that I also invited Helen, um, she talked about the background of women in Japanese non-inclusive workplace. And then that gives people like so much like detail and knowledge of what people are experiencing and the word are right. Like like what is right and mm. what is not right. And then like how people should should fight for the uh, for their rights. And then like at the Google Workshop, like Helen also talked about like what make women successful and uh and how we should keep doing what mm. we're doing.
1: Absolutely. Keep doing what you're doing. The inspiration and power, you mentioned it. You mentioned it, Amber. Thank you very much. Oh, ah, yeah, are a badass inspiration, sir. And I think, you know, you're on the right path. And you know, I don't know if you've mentioned this. Amber, but I think the listeners have to know as well all these programs that you 're involved in all these initiatives that you 're started now that you 're helping high school students and so on. I have to say this without sounding patronizing you 're only twenty three you know <laughs> i mean you know at twenty three what was I doing i, I you know i haven 't done anything by comparison, really, so I think that 's such a a strong message to not just women but to anybody listening right is that that absolutely this is possible and you know you can't blame the fact that you you know you're too young to do something like this because you absolutely can get involved and do something what you are doing is fantastic so you know if today yeah well thank you if today you know we could share that with uh, the listener listening to this story thinks wow you know i want to like amber i want to do like amber i think you know that's job done isn't it so we need to inspire more people out there to a bit of confidence in themselves and know that they're not crazy that they're not you know it all has a reason maybe some of the frustrations and struggles that they go through and never give up as well i mean you've proven that just sheer persistence pays off in the long run so amber it's been a real Thank pleasure you. absolute real privilege having you on the show today and i'm sure people want to reach out to you as well so where's the best place people can connect with you
0: uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, or my email.
1: And we'll put the details. all our channels. <laughs> she is everywhere. So we'll put all the details in the show notes. And please come back as well. We'd love to have you back on the show in six months' time and give us an update. The latest in the adventure, the journey, that is Amber Chook and everything that you're doing and the projects that you're involved in. So please come back and share that with the listeners. We'd love that.
0: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.